Jesus Christ walked around the earth in his resurrection body for 40 days. The Bible says that believers will receive a resurrection body. What will it be like? Get your Bibles and let's talk about it. We've been looking at what happened after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, he walked around earth in his resurrection body. We've looked at the events during those days that scripture has recorded for us. And we're told that during those days, Jesus was appearing and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Many people saw him, they encountered him. And so one of the things we can observe in these passages is what the resurrection body of the Lord Jesus was like. This is interesting to us because scripture tells us in Philippians chapter three, in verses 20 and 21, that the bodies of believers will be transfigured into conformity with Jesus' glorified body. Now those words glorified body and resurrection body are usually used interchangeably. So we have the hope or the expectation that the, at the coming of Christ, we will be like him. Romans eight says that we groan waiting for the redemption of the body. We long for what is to come. So here's the sequence. If you die before the return of Christ, your body, your physical body goes into a grave or some bodies are cremated. Some bodies are buried in the ocean. Some bodies are never found, but that doesn't matter. Let's just talk about the grave. Your spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a believer dies, his or her spirit goes immediately to be with Christ. But the body, the physical body is left on earth. When Jesus returns, he will raise those bodies, transforming them into a resurrection or glorified body. And he will reunite that spirit with that body, that resurrected transformed body. And so we say, well, what will it be like? And this is a good time to ask the question, will we know each other in heaven? We can look at Christ's resurrection body to get some insight into the answers to these questions. We're going to be in conformity with the body of his glory. That's scripture. Now, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Romans 8, 11 says this, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who indwells you. Now let's look at some of the characteristics of the resurrection body of Jesus. First thing is we know that he could pass through walls and closed barred doors. You will remember that twice when the disciples were gathered uh, in the upper room, they were afraid and hiding and were all locked up in there that Jesus just appeared in their midst. And one time he said, peace be with you. 
And so just in a twinkling, there he was. Also remember that when he rose from the dead, the, uh, his resurrection body moved through the grave clothes so that when the disciples went in there to see, the grave clothes were still there, the wrappings were still there and intact, and they were just left there, but the body of Jesus was gone. Number two, he was able to disappear. He was able to disappear. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 30, he was eating with the two men that he had met on the road to Emmaus. And when the men recognized him, he vanished from their sight. Next thing is his resurrection body had flesh and bones. Turn with me, if you will, for a moment so that you might want to mark this in your Bible. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 39. Jesus said to them, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, when he's using the word spirit, some people have thought that that the body of Jesus was like, um, like a fog, something ethereal, something you could see through. And he says, nope, touch this. You can see, and this is not a ghost. And sometimes that word is, is hard in our culture, but in other cultures, it meant something different. But he said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. You can see here that I have flesh and bones. While you're there in Luke 24, look down at verse 41, because here we see that he could eat. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them so he can eat. Next thing is his body could be touched and handled. You saw him just invite the disciples to, he said, touch me. Come here, just go ahead and, and touch me. So he was touchable, he was feelable and he could be handled. Number six, in his resurrection body, Jesus was not bound by time. In a flash, he could appear from one place to another place, apparently just with a thought or just a desire to be there, was not bound by time. Number seven, it was recognizable. It was recognizable. It kept its identity. Now let's think about this. Resurrection is a transformation of the same bodies we have on earth. Did you get that? It's a transformation of the same bodies that we have on earth. The old body will become a new body, but there will be identifying factors that it is still your body. Now, there are a lot of mysteries about this. All we know, all we wanna know, all we need to know is what scripture tells us about this. And so somehow in God's power and in his design, there is a continuity between our new resurrected body and our physical body. And so Christ's resurrection body still had the scars from the crucifixion. So there was continuity from his earthly body to his heavenly body. Now, um, I believe that those scars are representative of the blood covenant, the covenant that God made 
with Abraham, with, his, with all of his people, the, the people that would believe and have the same faith of Abraham. It was a, there was a blood covenant. It's a covenant of grace. That's what's in the New Testament. But so some say, and I tend to believe that the only scars there will be in heaven are those scars in the hands of Jesus and on his feet and on his side because they're covenant scars. And, but they're still there. That's, that's the point for the lesson. So um, he, he's there and he still has those scars. Now, we said that the body is recognizable, but some people would say, well, uh, Mary Magdalene did not recognize him in the garden on that early morning, that Easter morning. She thought that he was the gardener. Well, the disciples on shore of the Sea of Galilee didn't recognize Jesus as he was there preparing their breakfast. Um, the men on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him when all of a sudden he just took up walking with them toward Jerusalem. And so um, let's just say that they didn't recognize him at first. At first. They didn't expect to see him as he was, didn't recognize him as that new body. But how did they recognize him? How did they recognize him? Well, Mary recognized him when he called her name. Did she recognize his voice? Did she recognize the way he said it? We don't, I don't know. We don't know. But she recognized him when he called her name. And then John recognized him from the boat out on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was on shore. And Jesus said, have you caught any fish? And he said, cast your net on the other side. And boom, John recognized that it was Jesus. Why? They'd been there and done that before. That was kind of repetition of an event that had happened early on in the, in the calling of the disciples. But thus just, you know, how did he recognize him? Was it his voice? Was it what he did? It just dawned on John that it was Jesus. And he said it was Jesus. Men on the road to Emmaus, remember Jesus went home to eat with them. And when he broke the bread, they recognized Jesus, and he disappeared. So they didn't recognize him as we would usually recognize somebody, but it dawned on them who he was. Number eight, Jesus could feel and see and hear and taste and touch. He could do all of those things. Now, our resurrection bodies will be patterned after Christ's. Resurrection bodies are the same, but different. I don't really know another way to describe that, but Paul uses a metaphor of seeds and plants. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is the greatest chapter in the Bible on the theme of the resurrection. So let's look down in verse 35, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. 
and to each of the seeds a body of its own. So there's a good picture for us. Uh, it helps me to think of a bean. Now we here in the South plant gardens. And so I planted some green beans in my garden and I planted a bean. And today I started to bring one, but today they're plants. Still a bean, but a different form of the bean. So there has been a transformation that takes place. But what dawned on me is it takes one to make the other. It takes a bean dying and being planted in the right environment to be transformed into a plant. And then what's that plant going to do? It's going to produce other beans. They need each other. They belong together. Same thing, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a tomato plant or a squash plant or um, cucumber plant, whatever kind it is, but there's a transformation that takes place between the seed that dies and is planted in the ground and the plant that comes up. Now we get to the place where we can recognize plants. There was a day when I didn't, I could look at plants and not know a bean plant from a squash plant. Today I do. So today I can look at the plant and realize what the seed was and what that plant is going to produce. And so we learn, we understand, we get accustomed to the transformation, to identifying the transformation. And it's my thought that when Mary Magdalene saw him, when John saw him, when the disciples saw him on the, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, they were far away, but it had not, they had not yet gotten used to what his transformation looked like. But because of the continuity of his physical body, they could recognize him by what he said, by what he did. Paul goes on in this chapter to specify four characteristics of the resurrection body. So let's look at that for just a minute while you're there. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42. Paul says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So he specifies here four characteristics of the resurrection body. First one was there in verse 42. This body is corruptible, perishable. He says it will be, uh, it, is a, it is sown a perishable body, but it is raised an imperishable body. You know what that means? Think about imperishable. It will never die. It will never decay. It will never grow old, never grow old. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, is raised in glory. That is something we can't imagine. We don't know, we don't, re we, we don't really relate to that, but it's raised in glory. And then he says, same verse, it is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. 
And then verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, some people want to take that word spiritual and think that it's ghost-like, fog-like, like an apparition or something. But spiritual here means fit for heaven. This body is not fit for heaven. This body was made and is fit for earth. This body's not fit for Mars. We'd have to do some big time stuff to make this body be able to survive on Mars or on any of the other planets or even in the Arctic or Antarctica. You know, this body is not fit for all of those environments. But the spiritual body is a body, once it's transformed, it is a body that is made fit for heaven. This body can't exist in heaven. My glorified body and my spirit will be ready and be fit for heaven. Let's continue to read there in 1 Corinthians 15. I love it. Beginning in verse 49. Paul says, And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And it's still a mystery. Even with the information scriptures given to us, we're just going to take what it says. But he says it's a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised. How? Imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, I'm sorry, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. It's gone. Jesus dealt with it. The power of sin is the law. God changed it to grace. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And watch how he ends the chapter. Therefore, therefore, because of all of that, my beloved brethren, Christians, believers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So we're going to have a changed body, a resurrection body, a glorified body. And that changed body is born out of the death of the old body. Now, one more thing I want to show you. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation, and let's first look in chapter 5. And to get the context, he begins the chapter with, uh, John is writing, he said, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written 
inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Now, him who sat on the throne is the Lord Jesus. And so we find there in the first verses that he is the only one who is able to take that book and to break its seals. And so um, you see there in verse five, uh, behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, that's Jesus, the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. That's the title deed to the earth. But then begin, it, then he goes on and he says, I saw between the row, the throne, uh, the elders, a lamb standing. So there's Jesus as if slain. And so then I want you to look with me in verse nine. Well, don't let me mess up. There in verse eight, uh, there are the four living creatures and the 24 elders falling down before the lamb. And so what did they do? They started to sing. That's where we are in verse nine. All of the people around the throne, they sang a new song saying, worthy art thou, Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood people. Now some Bibles say men, but if you do a word study on that word, it means people, men and women, okay? That people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Hold that in your mind. People, men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, uh, look down there in Revelation chapter seven, chapter seven and verse nine. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Well, what's that about? We're going to maintain our racial and gender identities. They're different. We see this around the throne of God. And so our racial and gender identities are going to continue. Somehow, transformation in God's design and in God's power. This is what he's doing. So we're going to maintain something. And so this is how, you know, when we see people in heaven, I'm going to assume from this, it may take us a minute to recognize them, but there will be recognizable factors and we will be accustomed to seeing them in a resurrected body, in a glorified body at that point, you know, that we're not accustomed to seeing but I don't think it will take us long to get used to it. I don't think it will take us long. I just have to take you while we're here, and we've got a minute, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. I love this chapter. It's one of my favorite passages, and I'm just going to begin in verse 1. And I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. There's no separation. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. Verse 4. And he, God, capital H, shall wipe away 
every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Glorified bodies, resurrection bodies. Now, Job asked the question, if a person dies, shall he live again? That's probably a question that everybody has grappled with. Is there life after death? On the authority of the word of God, yes, there is. There's no doubt about it. There is life after death. Now, the question is not if there is life after death. The question is, where will we spend it? Where will we be? It's not if we will live forever, but where we will live forever. That's something we need to think about. And considering the resurrection body gives us a good reason to think about that. The Bible makes it clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. The Bible makes it clear that when a believer dies, a believer, hear me say, when a believer dies, his or her spirit immediately enters into the presence of God. Uh, Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To the thief on the cross, what did Jesus say? The thief said what? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, heaven. So we know that there's an immediate transfer for a believer into the presence of God. The earthly body, that empty shell remains in the grave, awaiting, awaiting the return of Christ. And when Christ returns, there will be this resurrection and transformation. So when Christ returns, he's going to bring the spirits of those who are already in heaven with him and raise those bodies wherever they are and put them back together. That's the day we're waiting for. That's what happens when Jesus comes. If one is a believer and has died, his or her spirit is now with Christ. It is in heaven. It is fully conscious. It is enjoying the presence of all of the other spirits in heaven and all of these other things that John saw. And when Jesus comes, he's going to bring that spirit and unite it with that body. It begs the question, are you a believer? Is that what will happen to you? And if the answer is yes, it is because of the saving power and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have taken the opportunity to say yes to Christ, to surrender to Him, to agree with Him, with God, that He is Lord and Messiah, and He has saved the world from sin. We have the option to take it or we have the option to walk away. I pray that you will take it. Amen.